Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn and my baby's too. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Network. I'm prenatal chiropractor Dr. Elliot Berlin, and I'm here with today's co-host, Maria Bulin. Today, we're talking about toxic sleep. Our babies spend so much of their time sleeping, so we brought in an expert to take a closer look at what baby bedding and mattresses are made out of. Our guest in the studio is Barry Chick. He's a board-certified environmental engineer and author who's been chasing chemicals for 30 years. When he went to a baby store 11 years ago to buy a crib mattress for his first grandchild, Barry was shocked at the toxic chemicals which were being used, at which point he set out to make a high-quality, non-toxic crib mattress. He's the founder of Naturepedic, which now makes a whole line of certified organic mattresses and bedding for the whole family. Barry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Berlin. You're uh, a phenomenal uh, encyclopedia of knowledge about chemicals. The few times I've had an opportunity to sit down and talk with you, I learn a tremendous amount, and I realize how many chemicals there are in the environment around us. Uh, do you know how many chemicals there are? Well, nobody knows exactly, but the best estimates that we have are that there are about 84,000 chemicals running around in the environment. In, and in our products, in our consumer and products. In our, in our consumer products, that's correct. And most of those, virtually all of those, did not exist 100 years ago. That's incredible. Yep. That's incredible. And, and when, when, a, when a chemical is introduced into our consumer products, are the, are the regulations on how they're tested? Do they have to be tested for safety? Uh, absolutely not. Well, I shouldn't say absolutely not. Theoretically, um, there is a law in the books called TSCA, Toxic Substances Control Act, T-S-C-A, TSCA. TSCA was set up in the 1970s with the intention of providing some degree of control over the use of toxic chemicals in consumer products in particular. The problem was that TSCA was basically a failure. I just don't know how else to say it. In the, in the past um, two to three decades, not a single chemical has been banned under TSCA by EPA. Why? And it, why? Because, EP, because the law is so weak that EPA doesn't have the power to really ban it. The law gives manufacturers 
outs. You know, EPA has to find another alternative that won't burden industry and all these kinds of outs. And, and, and whenever challenged, the EPA basically loses. And the big, the, big, the big one was asbestos. And this goes back several decades. Everybody thinks that asbestos is illegal. It's not true. The asbestos people sued EPA and ultimately won. The problem is asbestos by that time was pretty much dead. Nobody wanted to buy it. You know, it was a public thing. But technically speaking, legally speaking... You can still use asbestos. You can sell asbestos all you want. Oh, my goodness. And the EPA can't touch you because that law was as weak as it was. Let me explain this a little further. Uh, there were two laws passed that are really important for this conversation. Of course, there were many environmental laws passed in the 1970s and 1980s, but two in particular... One was RICRA and one was TASCA. RICRA is the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act. TASCA is the Toxic Substances Control Act. The idea was as follows. Um, with RICRA, if you're using a toxic chemical in your product, when you're done, when you have, a, when you have the, the, what's left and, and, and you have to dispose of it, you're no longer permitted to dump it into the lake or the river or out your back door or anywhere else. You have to take it to a uh, certified hazardous materials landfill, okay? That was what RICRA is all about. And, and in fact, RICRA works very well. It was a very tough law. Tosca was was enacted at about the same time, and Tosca was supposed to regulate whether the chemical could be used to make a consumer product in the first place, okay? But to the deal that was made, the political deal, was Rick would be tough. Tosca would be um, <laughs> very untough, very not tough at all, all right? So just to explain it, basically, if you were making a widget and you need to use arsenic to make your widget. And you start your run, your industrial run, at the beginning of the day, and you, you start with 100 pounds of arsenic. At the end of the day, uh, you have five pounds of arsenic that's left over. It's gummy and yucky, and you, you can't do anything with it anymore. It, it's got to go out, okay? So that five pounds goes to a hazardous waste landfill. No problem, and it works. However... What about the 95 pounds that was put into a consumer product that a baby, that, and it's on a baby product? That's totally legal. <laughs> and that's the system that we live on, that we live under today. So the toxic waste is, is regulated very strongly, but the use of the toxic materials <laughs> to begin with is barely regulated. That's unbelievable. It's so backwards. It's totally backwards, okay? And, and uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, out of the 84,000 chemicals that are running around today, exactly five, one, two, three, four, five, have been banned since 1979. Five out of 84,000. out of 84,000. And this is in the United States, let alone all the things that we purchase from around the world, in China, for example, where the regulation is not going to either exist and or be followed at all. So that's even just in the United States, that, that's wild. So there's nobody regulating, there's no effective regulation of what chemicals can go into products here in the United States, there, consumer products. There are no effective, that's the, that's the right word. There are technical regulations, 
basically the way the system works, and it's important to know this, when, when, uh, when TASCA was first enacted, the idea was that, and this was the political compromise, all chemicals in use as of that time were grandfathered. No toxic testing ever is required on those, on those chemicals. Nothing, okay? Anything introduced new since that time, you have to fill out a form, send it to the EPA, um, and 99 times out of 100, you get your permit within three weeks. Wow. You know, so basically, uh, are there some... Are there some Technical requirements, yes. Are there effective regulations? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely, doesn't, doesn't not. sound like it at all. What about baby products? Are baby products different? Uh, basically, no. Basically, no. There are a few rules regarding baby products, um, which were enacted in two thousand and eight, just a few years ago, and uh, it's called the CPSIA. Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act, okay? Under CPSIA, two things were uh, prohibited from baby products. One was lead on the surface, and only on the surface, where a baby could touch it or lick it or mouth it. The other was certain phthalates. Now, let me talk about phthalates for sure. a minute. It's an important point. Th uh, when, you, when you buy vinyl as for example, a vinyl shower curtain or a vinyl cover on a baby mattress, that vinyl has 30 to 40% phthalates in it or phthalate substitutes of one kind or another, okay? Spelled with a pH, correct? Yeah, phthalates, you don't pronounce the pH. It's, mm -hmm. it's spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, but you don't pronounce the pH. You, you pronounce it phthalates, okay? Now, the phthalates make the vinyl soft and malleable, all right? Because otherwise it would be hard like PVC. Okay. Right? Like a record. Like a, yeah, like, like a record old, like or the, the old PVC, PVC piping. Or, or, or PVC piping, exactly. When you add phthalates to the PVC, you get vinyl. Okay? Um, is basically what's going on. Softens it up. It softens it, it malleable. up. The problem is that the phthalates don't stick. It's just the way the chemistry works. The phthalates come out of the vinyl into the air. And the manufacturers know that, which is why vinyl is you know, 30 to 40% phthalates because you have, to, you have to put a lot in there so that vinyl has a long and useful life. The, so the, the, the phthalates come out over time. When you open uh, the car, uh, the, new door, a new, uh, uh, the door to a new car, when you open the door to a new car, you're smelling something. What are you smelling? So... Um, new car scent. That new car smell... Uh, has traditionally been from the phthalates. Oh, wow. Basically, Good that's... That, for, for, that's great. Yeah. They should put that on one of the trees, the tree car scents, just phthalate. Oh, yeah, phthalate. <laughs> phthalate. <laughs> phthalate scented. Yeah. Good night. Exactly. Air freshener. Yeah. Now, in a new car, uh, you're smelling it for, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. If you're in L.A., you're smelling it for an hour and 10 or 15 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But, but, you know, for the most part, you're an adult, your immune system is developed, and, and you're not smelling it, you're not breathing it for that long. And then do you also, does it also rub off on your hands, for example, when you touch different um, materials on the surface of your I, car? Um, yeah, I would say it does, but the off-gassing is the big deal okay. when it comes to phthalates. It, it will just naturally off-gas. It's just... It's, 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 it's constantly it coming off into the air. It's constantly coming off into the air. Um, you know, when vinyl gets old and it, 
cracks and it gets, you know, it's, well, just, like not, the, it's just not flexible anymore. Basically, the phthalates are all gone. It's now reverting back to the mm. hard PVC. Becoming PVC. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and if, if, if the vinyl was on a baby mattress, you know, and the baby's nose was right there, what do you think the baby's been breathing? Oh, geez. Okay, and a baby... Off-gassing phthalates. Yeah. And a baby, and the amount that the baby is breathing is quite a bit in relation to the size of the baby, you know. It, 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 it can be quite... Anyways, the U.S. government banned three, three phthalates for some products, uh, six, phthal six phthalates for other products. But, but what happened... Okay, so now there's a new regulation for phthalates. But what did the manufacturers uh, of vinyl do? Uh, by and large, uh, they just found other phthalates that are not technically banned. You can make phthalates many different ways. You can make substitutes very di many different ways. So they found, they found other types of phthalates or phthalate substitutes. Who says they're any better? Nobody knows. And people love to brag about that. Even when they say BPA-free, I look at, I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to these things, and I look at that, and I'm like, well, THQ is in there, but there's no BPA. Mm. Well, there's no BPA. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's lead, like, everybody's familiar with the effects of lead poisoning. What are, what were the, why did they ban phthalates in the first place? The, um, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, considers phthalates a, a, um, potential carcinogen or a possible carcinogen. I'm not sure which wording they use. I think, I think it might be possible uh, carcinogen and a known animal carcinogen. Wow. And so. it's possible that phthalates have other, other issues with them related to asthma, perhaps. Um, there, there's a bunch of research on it. Okay. It's, it's nasty stuff. It's not good stuff, but you, but they, but stuff the stuff I wouldn't want my kid breathing. You don't want your kid breathing own. it. So the federal government banned some of those, but you know, they get creative. Uh, yeah, a lot of good the band did, you know. And and that's just two chemicals out of 84,000 that the government has tried to deal with. So that gives you a perspective on, on the issue. What about the medical community? Have they weighed in on, on these chemicals and baby products? Yeah, the, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics published a, uh, a policy statement, and you can look it up, and basically it says in no uncertain terms that... Uh, tens of thousands of new chemicals have entered uh, commerce uh, in very high quantities, and uh, um, these chemicals are causing harm to babies. And this is from, you know, typical everyday pediatricians. These are not, you know, they don't have an extremist point of view. They're not trying to push it. They're just trying to help, help babies, and they've come out with a very clear statement about that. Hmm. I could talk to you all day about chemicals because you're, like I said before, you know so much. And and for most of your career, you had nothing to do with um, mattresses. You were just studying chemicals. Let's talk about mattresses. Um, what are the primary materials and chemicals that are typically used to make a baby mattress? Well, the two big, uh, there are several issues. But uh, one issue, of course, is what we just talked about, phthalates in vinyl. Okay. And that's uh, in the outside. That's on the outside the of the mattress. Um, the next issue is that if if the if the mattress the mattress has to be waterproof. Baby mattresses in general are 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 always waterproof. If you're not going to use uh, vinyl, then um, you use some sort of fabric, a jacquard fabric or so on. And uh, what what they typically do then is they'll use. Uh, perfluorinated chemicals 
PFCs. Uh, but perfluorinated chemicals, uh, or sometimes known as perfluorinated compounds, uh, they also have problems. I read a study by Dr. Landrigan uh, from Mount Sinai Hospital in New York where um, uh, even, though, even though the study was not exactly for this, but the point was that uh, um, uh, PFCs, perfluorinated compounds, are associated potentially with neurodevelopmental issues. So that's the next area. The next area is going to be flammability, which is probably in some ways the biggest area. Uh, most baby mattresses are made with polyurethane foam. Polyurethane foam is highly flammable. You can't pass the flammability requirements uh, unless you do something. So what's the something? You mean the, flamm the, the governmental flammability requirements for mattresses to make sure that they are not overly flammable? Correct. The, uh, the federal government... The Consumer Product Safety, Safety Commission has two sets of flammability tests that are required for every mattress in the country, a baby or adult, doesn't matter. Uh, one is known as the cigarette test, where you put a lit cigarette on, on the surface and it cannot char more than two inches. The other is you just torch the whole mattress and you, you measure the heat release and the rate of heat release, and there are, there are limits for every one of those, okay? Um, if you're using polyurethane foam, there's just no way. A polyurethane foam isn't the only uh, material that's highly flammable. There are others, but the fact of the matter is that polyurethane foam is used uh, in the overwhelming majority of baby mattresses. So that's why the focus is, is, is on polyurethane foam. So uh, what do you do? So you either put uh, flame-retardant chemicals, mix it into the foam, or you create a chemical barrier that surrounds the foam, or you add and or you add chemicals into the surface fabric. And, you know, many year, years ago, and I'm not sure if it's continuing now, but many, you know, many of these had used antimony in the surface fabric, which is a highly, highly poisonous material. Uh, so the problem is if you have a highly flammable uh, mattress, you have to do something. And most people use chemicals in one fashion or another. And as a flame retardant? As a flame retardant. Flame retardant chemicals, exactly. And uh, that's the issue. It's a big issue. So you got the PVC coating on top for waterproofing. Yeah. And inside the core is made up of polyurethane foam, which has to be treated with some sort of flame retardant to be able to pass the flame retardant uh, guidelines. Right. We talked earlier about how you uh, were looking for a mattress 11 years ago for your first grandchild, and you could not find, because I assume you found these different chemicals in, in the mattresses you were looking at, you couldn't find one that met your standards. Correct. And um, you set out to create a mattress that would meet your standards. Correct. So, and and now you've, you've got a company, uh, Naturepedic, which we have at our home, and um, you have organic mattresses pretty much for the whole family. Correct. So tell me about a naturopedic mattress. I mean, how do you overcome the problems? It seems like you have big problems. I don't think people put chemicals in mattresses to say, hey, we don't care or because it's cheaper. Um, necessarily, I think that there are real hurdles to overcome, environmental hurdles, obstacles that you need to engineer past. How did you overcome the environmental hurdles that we normally use chemicals to overcome, such as waterproofing? and flame retardation. Okay, well, uh, 
Let's do it in reverse order. Let's start with the flame uh, retardation issues, which is the which is uh, which which dominates when you're when you're thinking about how to make a mattress. And the way to deal with it, or the best way to deal with it, is to use materials that aren't highly flammable to begin with. Okay, it's not very difficult concept. In fact, developing a mattress was not the most difficult engineering feat of my entire career. <laughs> uh, not at all. It, sure, it takes some common sense and a little bit of research, and you have to know what you're doing, but it's not that difficult. So the first step is, what can we use that it's not so flammable? And what we do is we use organic cotton. The organic part is for a different reason, for the but but okay, let's it's all the same in the end. We use organic cotton. The cotton is not highly flammable. Cotton will burn a little bit. It will char, uh, but it won't go up in a huge ball of fire the way the way polyurethane foam does. Will it pass the government flame test? Oh, easily. Okay, easily. Uh, and then we uh, have to create a support for the mattress. So how are we gonna? How are we gonna? make a support. We can't use organic cotton as a support because if we just used organic cotton, you know, for the whole mattress, including the support, it wouldn't be a mattress. It would be a big, huge, oversized pillow. And you can't put a baby on a pillow, obviously. Oh, my older kids would love that. <laughs> it's, so, you know, we, we have to use something that provides structure, all right? And GOTS, the Global Organic Textile Standard, understands that. So the options are steel, latex, and food-grade polyethylene. So we use steel for some of our mattresses, and that's fine. We don't use latex because it's our policy per, per pediatrician recommendations not to use latex for baby products. So we got permission from the Global Organic Textile Standard to use the third version, which is a food-grade polyethylene. And we use that as the support for some of our mattresses, and it works great. So the food-grade polyethylene makes a firm core in the middle of the mattress? Correct. It creates a firm core in the middle of the mattress. And it's not too heavy. And, and the hospitals like that as well, because the hospitals refuse to allow latex in, uh, in, in baby products. It's very uncommon to use uh, a food-grade polyethylene as a, as a support material, but for babies, if you can't use the latex and you can't always use the steel, because the steel makes for a heavier mattress and a lot of parents just can't pick it up, uh, so uh, God's approved the use of food-grade polyethylene, even though it's a little bit unusual, but it, 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 it meets their uh, non-toxic requirements, and it works just fine. It does the trick. It does the trick, yeah. You have the option of food-grade polyethylene core right. surrounded by organic cotton. Surrounded by organic cotton. And then encased. Wonderful. And then encased with organic cotton fabric. Huh. And then on the surface, if we're going to make it uh, waterproof, which most people want, we're not going to use the PFC kind of chemicals, and we're not going to use vinyl. So what are we going to do? So it turns out that we can take uh, some polyethylene, a very thin amount of polyethylene, and melt it onto the cotton fabric, and, and the cotton fabric becomes waterproof. And that's how we do it. So it's the same food grade. It's the same food grade. Plastic. And it's the safest way to waterproof a mattress. In addition to the chemicals that go into making the core of a mattress and surrounding the core and making it waterproof, there's the actual constructing of a great mattress itself that you have to worry about. How do you, how do you go about that? Well, we have several uh, criteria that we use to make a, a uh, quality 
and as safe as possible mattress. The first is just basic physical safety. Does the mattress have the proper firmness? Does it have proper firmness at the edges when a toddler is jumping jumping up and down holding on to the edge of the crib? Uh, is there a snug fit between the mattress and the crib? Is uh, do we have square corners? These are all these are all these are all the physical safety issues. And then you go to chemical safety issues. All right, which we've talked about, you know, the flame retardants and the plasticizers and, and so on. And then we go to the allergenic issues, make sure that we don't have anything that, that's known to be an allergen. All right, and then the flammability issues, um, let's make sure that it, it's not highly flammable and this way we, have, we can avoid having to use flame retardant chemicals, which we're not about to do, okay? And then there's... Uh, there's convenience issues. It's got to be lightweight for some people, you know. And so we have uh, we have the regular inner spring, and then we have the lightweight version, and we've gotten everything certified. Uh, you know, we use the materials that are certified under the Global Organic Textile Standard. So there's a lot that goes into uh, a proper mattress. There's durability. Like for example, our baby mattresses uh, are made without the tape at the edges or the the, the binding, you know, that that, come, that are you usually find around the edges of a mattress. The problem with that is uh, one, it could let urine vapor in. All right. The other problem is it's hard to clean when you're trying to clean the surface of a mattress, and you and, and you you come up against that 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 binding material. It, you know, it gets in the way. So um, we we have eliminated. The binding material, you know, we we heat seal everything, and there there's just no seams. It's seamless, okay, and so that's an, that you know, and and the, and and everybody knows that the binding is the first thing to go on a mattress, so it it makes it into a much more durable mattress, and at the same time it create it, it adds hygienic safety. So all these different issues that go into a, a, a safe mattress, and we just try to look at all of them and optimize every single one of them as best as we can. We are going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. <laughs> Many years ago, latex was all natural. There was nothing else before World War II. Latex sap comes out of a latex tree, just like maple syrup comes out of a, a maple mm, tree. Delicious. Okay? So you can take that latex sap and turn it into latex foam, all right? Um, that's truly natural latex, all right? But uh, during World War II, we couldn't get latex, so they uh, invented latex uh, made from petroleum. Oh, so most latex on the market is not really latex. Most latex on the market is petroleum, all right? And they still call it latex? They still call it latex. Is there a way to tell the difference if you have actual latex versus petroleum latex lookalike? Yeah, yeah. Let me explain. So let me take it step by step here. Um, a lot of people are, are selling and promoting natural latex. The problem is that the word natural has zero meaning. It means nothing, all right? It has no definition to it today. It did in the 70s, when I remember it, natural meant something. It has not, cachet, but other than yeah, that. It has cachet, but other than that, it, has, it means nothing. So some people are taking uh, their petroleum latex, mixing a little bit of natural latex in it, and calling it natural latex, because there is no rule as to how oh, much. I see. Yeah. So it contains can, natural latex. 
Right. So to answer your question, if it just says natural latex, it may have some natural latex to it. It may even have maybe 50% in in many cases, but it's not really all natural latex. Mm. The only way today to get real, uh, pure natural latex without the petroleum is to to buy latex uh, or ask for latex that is certified under a different standard called the Global Organic Latex Standard, G-O-L-S, GALS. Okay, uh, if you get latex certified under that standard, that's how you know that it's truly natural. Um, there, there are a lot of latex products for babies. Uh, are those products you'd recommend? Uh, there is a big debate about that. I, I take the position that um, babies should not uh, be in contact with latex. Uh, many pediatricians, perhaps most, uh, take that position. Um, and the reason is obvious. Latex happens to be an allergen, even if it's organic. And just to make the, just to make the point clearer, um, poinsettias, uh, which are used Christmas time, are beautiful. And they may be organic, but I don't recommend playing with them, okay? Uh, poison ivy... Uh, maybe organic. I don't recommend messing with it. All natural. All right. Or, or my best the example. The poinsettia will kill your dog. Yeah. The point is that just because something is organic is most of the time great, but you have to go beyond that. You have to. You have to. There may be other issues. So when it comes to latex, there is an other issue, and the other issue is that people are allergic. A lot of people are allergic to latex. Approximately 6 to 8% of the population is allergic to, to latex. So if you're an adult and you know you're not allergic, you know, great, uh, buy a latex mattress. We make adult beautiful uh, mattresses with latex. But for babies, we've taken the, we've, everything we do when it comes to the babies for sure is at, to be as cautious as possible. So we've taken the advice of many pediatricians and we do not use any latex in any of our ba- baby products, zero. Well, that's impressive. Um, I've, one last question is about the term greenwashing. What does greenwashing mean? Uh-huh. So greenwashing is a term that means uh, you're pretending to be green, or maybe pretending is not always the right word. Maybe you are a little bit greener than you were before, but you're not really green. So okay. I, bought, I bought Bake Your Own Cookies the other day from a company that said, you know, it was their safer line. It, it didn't say that on there, but it just, the packaging was a little bit more natural looking and in huge letters. It said on there, no high fructose corn syrup. And uh, it felt like better to buy those cookies versus the ones that do have high fructose corn syrup. And then when we get home, you look at all the ingredients, there's a bunch of junk in there. <clears throat> right. That's called regrettable substitutions. When you take out, and that's a big problem today, when you take out a nasty chemical, what are you going to replace it with? Okay. So what you should do is replace it with an informed substitution where you know what you're doing. But if you're just substituting with something else that nobody knows anything about, and it may be just as bad, in some cases even worse, that's called a regrettable substitution. My regrettable cookie substitution, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I just, but the problem is the marketing, we don't know. I know more than I think a lot of people, 
And I don't know that much. I fall for these things. Things come in a little green package with a little brown thing sure. and a little twig attached to it, I assume. With the flower petal. Oh, well, the flower sure. petal throws me over the top every time. Sure. I, <laughs> I'll give you a good example if you wish to, when it comes to mattresses. A lot of the mattresses today on the market are called soy mattresses or soybean mattresses or soy foam, uh, eco foam, and so on. All right? Uh, and people think, well, these are made, this is foam made from soybeans. Well, not exactly. Basically, it's mostly the same old polyurethane foam with the same isocyanates and probably the same flame retardants. Uh, and all they did was they added a little bit of soybean oh, oil kidding. into the mix. Oh. Actually, I have a question that's something um, about flavoring. So it's not in the context of mattresses, but uh, one thing that I tend to look for is natural flavoring because I learned from being in the tea industry that it's not so natural. So it's one thing that I tend to look for. That natural um, flavorings are natural not natural? Natural flavors are not, uh, yes, are not, not great for you. You mean it's, nobody's sitting there squeezing in a little bit of lemon? Exactly, right. That it, it's a way to mask perfume, uh, perfume, P-A-R-F-U-M, I think is the way it's usually spelled, and then natural flavoring is a way to mask a lot of chemicals. Do you, sure. do you know anything about that? Sure, and some of the other chemicals that may be in there could be surfactants, solvents, plasticizers, colorants, antioxidants, stabilizers, and all kinds of other processing aids. There are all kinds of chemicals that, that serve all kinds of different purposes mm -hmm. that are used in consumer products. You just don't know what you're getting. Okay. You just don't know. Okay. So those two words can mask a lot of things that... Natural flavorings. Natural um, flavorings and... and uh, Perfumes. And perfume. Yeah. Let alone the other... Yeah. Uh, 84,000 things out there to worry 84,000 things. Wow. Or 83,995. <laughs> <laughs> I could uh, feel like I'd go on talking to you for a very long time and um, constantly learn new things about chemicals. And it's really opened my eyes to explore more and read the labels on the things that I buy and try to set up an environment in my home where it's not completely surrounded by 84,000 chemicals that are loosely, barely regulated. And um, when it comes to mattresses, um, you know, you've really done a tremendous job at turning it around so that there are great options for people to bring home and feel really good about having your baby sleep on and knowing that it's not, it's not toxic and it's not chemicals, that it's nature. Naturepedic is really the perfect name for your company. I was really glad to meet you and, and learn about mattresses and now share it with our audience. Um, I'm really happy that my kids are able to sleep on Naturepedic organic mattresses. And uh, soon we're going to upgrade the whole family as adults. Obviously, you make adult mattresses as oh, well. Absolutely. We make everything for the whole family now. From, from crib and cradle and bassinet to children's mattresses. We make mattresses just specially for children. Okay. And then we have luxury, adult, beautiful mattresses. Barry, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and teaching us a lot more about the mattress that our babies will spend so much more time on. Uh, if you want information about the different chemicals that we talked about today and the different components that go into making a mattress, we are going to have them on our website at informedpregnancy.com. To learn more about Naturepedic, you can visit naturepedic.com. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to write to info, I-N-F-O, at informedpregnancy.com.